stargazers. Welcome to 7th House Astrology, where I take an aspect from astrology or a topic from romance, and I investigate it under the lens of Sinistry Astrology, otherwise known as Love or Relationship Astrology. I am your host, Sandra Misek, and I am actually so glad that you guys have joined me today. So for this week's episode, Stargazers, I'm actually really delighted to present this to you. And I know I say this about every every topic every week. Um, it's it's always a delight to share astrology, but this week's topic is uh, very much a delight for me because it's a little new for me. I'm not going to lie. When I was introduced to this topic, it was with Chris Brennan's podcast, The Astrology Podcast. I was listening to that uh, when going uh, to work and listening to the July forecast episode when one of his guests kept mentioning day charts, night charts, and how they related to current planetary aspects that were going to come up in July. To be quite honest with you, Stargazers, I don't really know the specific context as to how this guest related day charts and night charts in the episode because quite honestly, I my head, it wrapped around both concepts and that's where I really took more of a fascination of, well, what is the difference between a day chart and a night chart and what are they? What do they look like? What, what do they entail? So that is actually this week's topic, is the topic of day charts versus night charts, what they look like, how to spot whether or not you have a day chart or a night chart uh, in your birth chart, and also exploring how this relates to synastry, as well as, you know, we'll, we'll explore obviously the astrological implications, but how does this relate to synastry astrology and into relationships, and how do the concepts of day charts and night charts charts, sorry, day charts and night charts relate when it comes to relationships. So to begin with Stargazers, I do have to say this will be a bit of a technical episode. So again, kind of like with the episode on oppositions, I recommend that you have maybe your, your natal chart in front of you. If you do want to pop onto astro.com and take a look at Ralph Waldo Emerson's chart, um, he will be my guest chart a little bit later on, and also that of his daughter's chart as well, too. You can always pop on there and kind of see, you know, what exactly I'm talking about and also kind of have some great examples as to what I mean by the day chart sect or what, what it means by he, by the fact that he has a day chart or he had a day chart and so on and so forth. You can also take a look at Jane Austen's chart, who I will also be referencing this evening as well, or actually I should say this for today's episode, I'll be referencing as well. And you can take a look at her chart and how it's a, it's primarily a night chart and kind of let those concepts or kind of give like visuals to my podcast to kind of give you a little bit more reference as to what this means or how this plays out uh, when it is literally seen because I know sometimes it's it's hard to describe some things on air 
you know, it's, it's better to kind of show as opposed to describe. So definitely, um, I would just say definitely supplement, um, if you do have any of the above charts handy for you. So without further ado, what are day charts and what are night charts? And I know what some of you are thinking. You're probably thinking, well, Sandra, a day chart is when somebody's born in the day and how it's structured accordingly. And night charts are, guess what, when people are born in the night and structured accordingly. Well, I kind of, it would be nice if it were that simple. But unfortunately, it is actually not. Um, I can give you a personal example, for instance. I was actually born at the crack of dawn in um, August or when I was born in August of a particular year. I'm not, I'm not going to reveal my age. Not, not, not yet. But uh, yeah, I was born at the crack of dawn and you would think that being born at the crack of dawn, I would have a day chart, you know, in, in Leo. And actually I have just the opposite. I have a night chart. I have what I would call an exclusive night chart, which means not only um, is the planet that is most responsible for day charts and night charts, the sun, not only is that below the ascendant, but also all of my planets are as well. I've known people who are born at eight o'clock at night and same thing. They have a chart very opposite to them. They have a day chart where their sun is above the ascendant or above the ascendant or the, the, the descendant line as well. And uh, very opposite there. My mom, she actually has, she was born in the afternoon, possibly towards sunset. So you would think that she'd have maybe a sunset chart where, you know, it'd be kind of, you know, a little bit of day chart mixes with night chart a little bit. And actually she has a day chart as well. So um, it's not determined by the time exactly. Although, like I said, it would be nice if it were simplistic as that. What it instead, as I mentioned, refers to is where in the sect, um, as it is considered to be, you know, many um, Hellenistic astrologers state it's the, the sect in which your sun is positioned in your nail chart that determines the day chart and the night chart. Now, with Hellenistic astrology, from what I understand, it basically, um, Hellenistic astrologers, they basically look at how natal charts look like in ancient Greece. And then they take the complexities and all the little, the little things that were going on in ancient Greek astrology. And then they relate that as to how that can deepen their relationship and also deepen others relationship when it comes to modern day astrology. And if you guys are interested further in Hellenistic astrology, I definitely would recommend Chris Brennan. Um, actually, he does have a number of articles published on the matter, as well as a number of books on the matter. He is actually considered to be the next Robert Hand in astrology circles. He's actually a year my junior, honestly, he's a year younger than I am, but he is, he has rose to prominence. I think he's actually up there, not only with Robert Hand, but also Liz Green, uh, Linda Goodman. I would even say Stephen Arroyo, the, the, the tippy top, the top, but definitely um, a little bit of a link to you for Hellenistic astrology. But with Hellenistic astrology, I think the times of the day were calculated 
a bit differently than what they actually refer to now. And that's where the concept of night charts and day charts come from. But um, usually it, it just really, again, it depends um, upon the charts of circumstances. Sometimes people reflect they might have a day chart and they were born during the day. Others, kind of like myself, may have an opposite situation. So to get into day charts, what constitutes them? So with day charts, it's basically where, as I mentioned, the sun is above the ascendant, descendant line in your chart. So really what this means is that the sun is either, it either occupies houses 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, or 12th. So 7th through 12th. And um, I would say you would have an exclusive day chart if you also have most of your planets above that horizon as well, too. And I would say exclusive because it's exclusively in that sect. And then also, um, you know, those, those planets being exclusively in that sect, that's also very rare to have. But for our purposes tonight and pointing out what are day charts, what are night charts, I'm going to look at near exclusive or the exclusive day charts, night charts um, to kind of further our understanding. But with day chart people, you know, and the, the special characteristics, and yes, there are many, uh, one thing is that they are actually very extroverted. They're also very extrinsically motivated meaning that um, they are actually motivated by things that are happening outside of them. So in the example of, say, that we have someone, we have two people, two different people who are working in the salon setting. If the person in the salon setting is a day chart person, what they would actually love more than anything, the way that they feel successful is if their their ticket sales are high, they're selling a lot of product, they're getting a lot of customers into their chairs, and also they'd be extra motivated if, say, that the company or the salon hosts a competition where it's like whoever sells the most product or gets the highest ticket, gets like tickets to Vegas or tickets to Rome, that would kind of up their their ante a little bit. And I also think, too, that matters might be, you know, extrinsic motivators, too, are things, you know, that the focus is outside of them as well, too. Now, I just want to emphasize, stargazers, there is no good way or bad way to be motivated. Everyone's different. Um, for day chart people, just because they're extrinsically or they're, you know, they're motivated outside with forces outside themselves, that's actually not a bad thing. Um, sometimes we do need external motivators. We do need rewards for job well done or for jobs well done. We do need to see the external benefits of all of our hard work that's been created for us. But um, with day charts, uh, one thing that astro.com as well as to wander, to wander.com, I should mention, have mentioned that um, day charts. So in the day when we uh, see the light outside, the light is primary ruled by the sun. You know, we can only see because the sun is out. 
we're actually kind of in the day, we're kind of guided by the sun, we're kind of guided by its light. And so very much like the daytime, those who have a day chart are actually guided by their sun sign. So not only does this mean that they would relate to their sun sign very much so when they read it, like say, in the magazine, uh, when it comes to predictive astrology, they would, they would not only relate to the brief descriptions and maybe like newspapers or just like I said, brief articles or basic astrology books, but also, um, they would feel that they are guided in a way by the archetypes of their sun sign. Also, they'd be felt as though they're guided by the archetypes of the house that that sun should be located in. So to kind of put this in all great example, I think we're all pretty familiar with Christopher Nolan, great uh, famous director, great famous writer. Um, if for those of you who do not know his works, I would say check out Inception. I, I love that movie. I also love the Dark Knight Rises and the Batman trilogy that he produced back in the early 2000s. Actually, those are the most, I'd say on top of the 1980s version of the Batman films, uh, Chris Nolan's versions are really super compelling uh, with the backstory of Bruce Wayne and just the whole psychological components of all the characters, as well as the comic book components of the characters, you know, or I should mainly, I should say the graphic novel components of the characters, they, they're enmeshed rather well. But uh, with Chris Nolan, again, brilliant director, he is one who is a great example of a guy who has an exclusive day chart, meaning that his son is actually in 10th house in Leo, but also all of his planets occupy houses 7 through 12, which is kind of interesting. Uh, very much the opposite of what my chart actually looks like. So it's, it's definitely very interesting to see that in in someone, a very notable person's chart. But um, when it comes to Chris Nolan and the day chart setting, so it's not enough that he has his son in Leo, but that guiding factor of Leo would be, well, let's face it, you know, he doesn't, he's not just a director. You know, like when he directed Inception or Interstellar, he wasn't just content on just directing. He had to write the films. And on top of which, he had to be one of the, the, the cinematographers of the film. He had to be part of the cinematography of the film. I think the only thing that's missing to have complete control over his film is the fact that he didn't actually produce his film. That was his wife. But, um, you know, in all honesty, you know, again, he, that the whole Leo notion that the fact that when it comes to his films, in order to feel that his films will be as authentic as possible is that he has to be all hands on deck. It might seem rather controlling to those who are outside, but really it's, it, it's also kind of a brilliant feat. And I feel like it's something Alfred Hitchcock may have done or Alfred Hitchcock may have been inspired by when it came to his films, which is, you know, having as many hands on deck as possible so that um, there aren't other, you know, Hollywood is notorious, especially when you're a writer, you're notoriously always ripped off. 
So um, in order to evade that and also make sure that your dream is coming true, you know, making sure that you have as much control, if not complete control over your project as much as possible. But, you know, with Chris Nolan, again, definite Leo vibes right there. You know, not only a director, not only the leader of the film, but yet a leader in every single aspect of the filming filming process. As if that's not enough, though, I would also say that his 10th house or that um, th- the fact that his son's sign is in his 10th house he is also guided by the archetypes of that 10th house. And how I feel this translates to him is that, you know, when he was a child, he actually did have access to an eight millimeter camera, which I thought was really very fascinating and really, that must've been really super cool, honestly. But I think he used to make his own, what, what from what I understood of his biography, he did make his own films with that eight millimeter camera. And, you know, it, it, he really enjoyed that as a child. But I, with the 10th house themes, kind of similarly to Capricorn or anyone who has an aspect in Capricorn, it's really more along the lines of, hey, I enjoy this. This is really enjoyable. But instead of compartmentalizing the what's joyous and what's enjoyable and what's fun from the everyday. Chris Nolan actually felt that probably he felt in teenage years into his twenties that, and also teenage years too, it was, okay, this is fun, but let me make the mistakes now. Um, Let me start directing films. Let me start getting films out there. Let me start seeing how I can make this a valid career choice so that by my 20s, I have a successful film and it's already out there and I can make a living at this. So I would not be surprised if his whole life was actually guided by this 10th house archetype of you know, let me be successful. Let me do what I can to achieve that that fame, that stardom. And I don't think it's just fame and stardom, just the, the success of it all. Let me also see if I can find the joy and the appreciation that I have of film, you know, see how that can come out as I make this a successful venture so that by the time I'm in my 20s or in my you know, mid to late 20s, I've had all the mistakes worked out and I can be successful. And actually his trajectory too worked out as such. I think the following came out when he was in his late 20s, possibly early 30s, if I'm remembering correctly. And some of his earlier films too also came out in his early 30s as well. Um, I think his 20s were spent in film school And then I think um, the rest, as I've said, were how to advance and how to be successful in cinematography. But definitely like Chris Nolan, a lot of day chart people would feel guided by their sun sign, not only which sign they're ruled by, but also the house that they're ruled by as well. And that would also kind of feel like they have like a pull like this, this energy kind of pulls them and guides them forth when it comes to their, their life as well. So now just the opposite, night chart people. 
So night chart people are actually those whose sun happens to be below the ascendant descendant line or otherwise known um, in the houses between. So between the houses or in the houses uh, one through six. So if you have uh, your, your sun in either the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth house, you have a night chart. If also you're like yours truly or like Jane Austen, Jane Austen had actually as close to an exclusive night chart as possible. I think she had some planets in the day sector or the day sect, as Hellenistic astrologers would say. But she mainly had a lot of her planets in the night sect as well, too, um, including her sun and moon. So um, I would say, yeah, she definitely had as she definitely had that exclusive night chart as well. But night chart people are just the opposite. They're actually introverted, introspective. They're kind of um, really more focused on really diving deep and inside themselves as much as possible. But also they're intrinsically motivated as well. So my coworker at a particular salon was a great example of a night chart person, even though she was an Aquarian and Aquarians, I usually think, you know, Aquarius, I usually think excels the most in a day chart setting because, you know, again, they're very extroverted. They're very, they kind of, they're very go-getter. Um, they're very blunt. They're very, um, as astrology would say, very masculine kind of traits that you'd see in a day chart setting. This uh, particular coworker, I wouldn't be surprised if her um, son in Aquarius was in a night chart setting because I remembered whenever this salon hosted any sort of competition or when um, the salon had changed hands as well too and became a franchise, I remember she complained up so many storms as to how the franchise was just sucking the soul out of her career. You know, she, she loved the career so much. Um, she was like really, truly internally invested into the career that she felt almost guarded and defensive whenever somebody would come along and say, well, like, you know, for instance, making haircuts, the art of haircutting commercialized. She really hated that. She really hated when the new owners would say, hey, you have to execute a haircut in 20 minutes or less. Uh, I mean, she was just like, that's, that's not going to be a good haircut. How can that be a good haircut? How can that be a good artful and soulful haircut that comes out of the chair? Um, similarly with um, styling, which was one of her strong suits. Again, it had to be 30 minutes or less. And I remember she complained up a storm about that. Like you're killing her career. You're killing the soul of her career. It was just not happening for her. But I think the biggest chief complaint. And I quite frankly, being a night chart person myself, I don't blame her for complaining about this. But um, the biggest thing that she complained about is the competitions that would occur. Um, every other month, the company wanted to engage everybody in a competition. I think it was just a secret way to see if numbers were up for each salon. And uh, with this coworker, I mean, she definitely like definitely Aquarian energy for, for sure. Definitely an Aquarian for sure. She absolutely rebelled by not even filling out any of the paperwork. I mean, we had like, we had like paperwork that we had to fill out every day. 
she would have none of it. She would publicly complain as to how this was just in essence, how this was killing the soul of the industry. She would publicly complain as to how much she disagreed about it. She would, you know, make her opinions known. And as if that was enough, she refused to fill out her paperwork for the competition and refused to take part in the competition. Basically, she'd mutter under her breath that it was um, the greed of the company and it was just turning her off. But um, the reason why I mentioned my coworkers that um, these are the intrinsic motivators of the night chart person. You know, the night chart person, they really need to be fully invested in whatever they do. It's not like the day chart person where they can just kind of do anything because a lot of what they do happens extrinsically outside of them. And a lot of what motivates them is what happens outside of them. Um, but you know, kind of like my coworker, intrinsic people really have to feel that what they're doing is kind of a life's purpose and that it really can be felt on the soul level. And I really was very convinced that that was my coworker right there in a nutshell. Um, not only ex- intrinsically motivated, but, um, when the sun is setting, and we're past twilight, we're past sunset, we're past twilight, and it's completely dark outside. Which planet do we actually, which planet are we guided by when it comes to the night? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. It's like, well, I go by the North Star, which, you know, that's a good answer. And that would be interesting if the North Star could show up in our natal charts and what exactly it could mean. But, you know, aside from the guiding principle, what else it could mean? But um, there is also the moon. And da-da-da, night chart people, they're guided by their moon sign. And it's not just that they would act more like their moon sign, but they're actually literally pulled by the lessons their moon sign brings to them. Very much like Jane Austen. Jane Austen basically had her son's position in her fourth house in Sagittarius. It was conjunct Pluto. And um, I think that transaction for me meant that she had a lot of power at home. And the one thing that I can really think of that's historically backed by this was that she actually had, you know, in the early days in Regency era, whenever a woman wrote anything, they really couldn't take it to the publishers themselves because really the publishers expected men to bring manuscripts to them. And even with men, they, it would be, they'd expect men to bring manuscripts to them. And publishers would also give men a hard time about publishing a book as opposed to doing more worldly ventures. Definitely a catch-22 time. But uh, with Jane Austen, whenever she uh, did have a novel that was completed, like with uh, Northanger Abbey or Sense and Sensibility or Pride and Prejudice even, she actually had her brother take it to the manu, you know, take the manuscript to the publishers for her and pretend to be the pain, the pen name or the nom de plume that she had set on the manuscript as well to get it published, which, you know, published in the penny papers back then, uh, which I thought was really quite interesting. But, you know, to have that 
you know, her son and Pluto um, conjunct right there. I just felt like that's where she'd probably be the, the lady of the house, really, or kind of ruling the house a little bit. But um, being her, her son being in the night chart, she would definitely be guided by the principles of her moon in first house in Libra. So in Libra, I would say the, the guiding principle of Libra there would be not only was she writing romances, you know, like Pride and Prejudice, Emma, definitely atypical romances. I mean, that's definitely very true. If that's not true to a Libra in heart or not very truly in screaming Libra, I'm not sure what would, because I mean, romances, everybody lives happily ever after. It's basically full of love, romance, the things that Libra really loves. On top of, you know, a lot of romances are set against a lush backdrop and everything is very beautiful. There's like a lot of just beauty to a romance, which I think would just be perfect because Libra loves beauty. They love aesthetic. There's there's a huge aesthetic, especially to um, portray a romance and to portray it well which Jane Austen actually did master. And I feel that was also that guiding principle of her moon and Libra to really portray that romance and to portray the true platonic. And, you know, a lot of her novels, what was very artful about them or what are very, what's very artful about her novels, even including Sanditon, which was only a partial novel. Um, that was the novel she was writing before she died is that there is such um I mean, she really presented love in a very nice way. You know, it wasn't just passionate love. I mean, Pride and Prejudice, true example of this, Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth Bennet didn't have a passionate affair right away. Their romance wasn't passionate in any way, shape, or form. In fact, they started off in the romance hating each other big time. And actually, throughout most of the romance, one or, or the other character came to be either prideful or prejudiced towards the other character. So there was a lot of, you know, either one or both characters were very, you know, they, they hated each other before they came to love one another, which I thought was an interesting I mean, interesting classic take on the romance, unlike where we see a lot of romances these days where it's all about passion and chemistry and undying requited love. It wasn't the case with Jane Austen. I think she really presented, I think that Libran Moon helped her to present this romance really well and kind of realistically, kind of, I mean, for Regency era, kind of realistically, we also got a sense of fantasy, which I, uh, you know, Librans are known for being idealistic as well. Um, also, what I found with Jane Austen, you know, the guiding principle of Libra, her moon in Libra leading her really. When it came to her work, um, she actually balanced two extremes of London out. The first extreme was like, you know, basically how London was very lush and very beautiful, but by the same token, how it was very cruel, but in, in all honesty, you know, we, we got this within Mansfield Park where I also had seen this within uh, Colonel Brandon's depictions of the, the quote unquote, the East, um, in Sense and Sensibility, 
with Jane Austen, I don't think that she was afraid to actually portray what the heck was really going on in terms of colonialism, like what the British soldiers were actually doing in India, what, what they were actually doing in, um, you know, the, the areas that they had colonized. I think, um, I think there might've been, uh, actually, I'm not going to even, I'm not going to surmise. I know historians will be like completely not liking me at this time. So I'm not going to surmise like which colonies England really specifically took over as opposed to what France took over. But we can see with Jane Austen's works, which there were, she was kind of presenting the nastiness of London, the nastiness of English society, as well as the, the culturedness of English society. I think she really went really, really deep with Mansfield Park to show how sugar was actually being cultivated. And actually, Jillian Fellows does a really brilliant job with Sanditon in also presenting that as well. You know, I think there was a lady who wanted to cut a particular cake made from sugar, and one of the characters came forward. Um, she was against the work that a lot, you know, the, the colonialism of England and uh, particularly with sugar plantains. Um, she spoke out against this lady and thus ruined her lovely, wonderful party. But um, th such was the work of Jane Austen, really balancing dark and light and really finding balance in her novels and not just, you know, showing people what they want to see, but also showing reality in terms and I think with Libra, you know, they, they're kind of like their sister cousin Scorpio in that regard, where they like to present the truth. The only difference is, of course, Libra likes to be fair about that truth. They like to see both sides of the equation come to a fair, balanced decision in order to see the truth from that vantage point. Unlike where Scorpios like just tear it all down, dig in deep and unearth, unearth the hydras of everybody, unearth the hydras of everyone and shine it to the light. So um, definitely with Jane Austen, I would say that that's where Libra definitely guided her. Her moon and Libra guided her with her works. But also her moon sign was in uh, the first house. And what struck me about that was her first house also guided her in the regard of, hey, relationships are wonderful, relationships are nice, but um, while finding out the roads of relationships, I have to find out the roads to myself. I have to know myself as well as my partner. And what really struck me and came to mind with that was Tom LaFroy, you know, her relationship, her real life relationship with Tom LaFroy. Um, he ended up, you know, he was going to forsake his family fortune and, you know, kind of ba basically divorce himself from his family in order to marry Jane Austen. That was the only way that they could get married, knowing that she was penniless or she was considered to be penniless. And um, really, in the end, with Jane Austen, I think she ended up, you know, having to make that decision similar to becoming Jane or similar to what we had seen in Becoming Jane of, no, um, I can't, I can't do this to you. Um, you, you would come to despise me for turning against your family. And it's like, you're meant to be with your family. You know, if nothing else, you're meant to be with your family. Even if this is going to produce heartbreak and devastation for me, I'll get over it. 
I think my purpose, my guiding light right now is I have to know me or I have to come to know me as well. And yes, I love you, Tom LaFroy, but unfortunately, I have to come to also love myself in the end. And we see a lot of that dynamic also playing out in her novels, how her heroine comes to know herself before she comes to know the love of her life. Very much, I think Emma really stands out in this regard. She comes to know herself as the matchmaker. She comes to know herself as the lady of the, of the Woodhouse Manor. She comes to know herself as an individual at, before she meets the love of her life, Mr. Knightley, who ironically chastises her in the background every time that she does make um, a match and also chastises her for being foolish and being a little girl and so on and so forth. But um, definitely seeing that aspect as well, too. So for night chart people, um, that's where they would be guided by is that that moon sign. They'd be pulled and led by their moon sign, as well as which house that moon sign is positioned within. Now, may I just say and take a pause here, stargazers? This is quite interesting. While it's very technical, I do have to say, very, very interesting. And I have to thank the uh, Hellenistic astrologer on Chris Brennan's podcast. I, for, I lapsed to even get his name, and I'm so sorry. Um, I think come next week's episode, I will look that up and make sure that I do obtain his name. I know that they are, I do obtain his name, just above all. But um, thank you to him for bringing this to my attention. This was actually really, this is actually really interesting, very fascinating. And I think that Two Wander is correct. This actually does deepen your understanding of your natal chart. So that's not just like, oh, yeah, I'm a Leo. I behave this way. Or, oh, my moon is in Libra. I behave this way. You know, as we normally see in a lot of pop culture astrology, we kind of see, hey, you know, I have a moon or sorry, a night chart. This would explain why I'm very intrinsically motivated, why I'm very, you know, I don't want to socialize. I want to just kind of keep to my own self. You know, not to say that night chart people can't socialize, they can, but more likely than not, they prefer their own company over that of others. Or it can also explain why you're a social butterfly. Hey, I'm in the day chart setting. I'm a complete social butterfly as well, too. It's, um, it brings an extra added depth and dimension. Um, and every, like I said, every chart is also very unique in that regard. Um, now, Starcasers, I did mention that um, I was pointing out mainly exclusive day charts or exclusive night charts for the purposes of this episode. So now when it comes down to synastry, I do have to say that if you do look at your natal chart and you're seeing that, say, your sun is in the day chart setting, but you have a lot of planets in the night chart setting or the night chart sect, as Hellenistic astrologers would say, um, that is actually very normal, just as much as having planets, um, you might have a night chart uh, because your, your sun is in the night chart sector or the night chart sect, but you have equal planets in both the day sect as well as the night sect. It's actually very common to have um, individuals who are a little of both in their charts. 
Uh, it's very rare to find someone like Jane Austen or Chris Nolan or yours truly for that matter to have the exclusive where almost all their planets or most their planets are in an exclusive night chart or day chart setting. But if there should be somebody who has exclusive day chart or exclusive night chart setting, what would synastry or what would relationships look like for them? Well, it's an interesting question. No, uh, it's, it's an interesting question all the way around that I think all of us would have. One thing that I would say is, whereas um, oppositions had pointed out to us that opposites attract, I don't recommend pairing day charts with night charts. The reason for why they are too opposite. You know, while opposites indeed do attract, um, we have to remember opposites also repel. And I think the biggest repellent with day chart, you know, providing one partner who's a day chart, who has a day chart, and one partner who has a night chart, you know, pairing them together. The, the biggest thing that I would see as being the biggest drawback is the day chart person might cause the night chart person to not feel very welcome by being themselves or not feel very valued by being themselves because day chart people being extroverted, they like to socialize. They like to mingle with people. They like to network. They like to be involved in groups of people. Whereas night chart people would rather kind of stay at home and read a book or rather kind of hang on the sidelines and kind of observe the setting and kind of observe the, the, the meaning of things. So um, sometimes I feel like the day chart person in the want to socialize and having that want trump the night chart person's need for being solitary or being in solitude, I would feel like the night chart person would feel like their needs aren't being met in the relationship. It's all about the day chart person. And conversely, day chart people, I feel, would feel that the night chart person is kind of like dampening their vibe. Like they're kind of the, the joy kill the party and that they're kind of, kind of weighing them down when it comes to their, their networking and their, their social circles. Uh, a great example. I have two great examples of this. One is of my, so I love my aunt on my father's side of the family. I love her dearly, but I can definitely tell she is um, a, a day chart person. Uh, and I can definitely tell she is guided by her sun sign of Aries. I can definitely tell when she states that she is having a family get together. And then she points to me knowing that I'm very introverted and that I like to look, that I like to kind of keep to my own company. She starts pointing to me and saying, you are obligated to come. Like I basically have no choice as to whether or not I come to these family gatherings, I have to come. And um, what I usually feel as a night chart person is it's very awkward um, to come to these social gatherings. I used to feel very comfortable because I used to be best friends with one of my other cousins who now has, has, has had interests that have shifted and he's no longer available. We no longer are friendly as we used to be. 
So I really feel kind of awkward because everybody likes to gather around. They like to socialize. And above all, they like to do the one thing that social settings love more than anything, and that is to drink. And personally, I don't like to drink. Again, just seeing the health um, situations that come about with my family's history, also the heavy, heavy amount of alcoholics I have in my family. I just, I'd like to avoid that genetic card myself. I'd like to avoid that fate myself. So I don't drink myself. And, um, quite honestly, I, what I see is that at the family gatherings, everybody who obviously are all day chart people, they're all commingling. They're all getting together. They're all socializing, rubbing elbows. Meanwhile, I'm blending in with the wallpaper. And I feel very, I really feel like it's a wasted amount of time. I really could be doing more with my time other than just standing around doing nothing and watching other people. Um, I just feel like it's a people watching event more than it's a family gathering. And um, also just feel very neglected. You know, um, my aunt is a very day chart oriented person in the regard of, well, if you want people to talk to you, you have to talk. And little does she realize that there is a big difference between extroverts and introverts. There's a big difference in catering to each different person and that there are different people who have different types of ways of relating um, in a relationship. So that's one example how I feel a day chart person. Um, I feel like my aunt feels like she's weighed down around me. Um, when she's at a family gathering, she doesn't hang around me too often, possibly because I weigh her down from, all, you know, socializing with all of her friends and making new friends because basically family gatherings nowadays are like parties. And conversely, like I said, I just don't feel very heard and I just don't understand why I'm obligated to come, except that it's just a day charts person of saying that you're welcome. Uh, it's, it's just a difference of style. But uh, I would see that working in a day chart, night charts, person's chart as well. Another example came from uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson with his relationship to his daughter. So um, Ralph Waldo Emerson had as close to an exclusive day chart as possible, sun in Gemini. So guided by a sun in Gemini, coincidentally in the eighth house, which kind of gave me goosebumps up and down my spine, because I mean, if you're talking about transcendentalism, you know, the mysticism of transcendentalism, what a better way to do that than having your son in the eighth house, house of mysticism, secrets, secret knowledge and transformation. But his daughter, Ellen Tucker Emerson, was just the opposite. She had a night chart. And basically, her night chart really uh, looked like, so what it did look like was that her son was below the ascendant in Pisces. And Pisces was actually her first house. She also had a load of planets in there. Um, she had her son, Uranus, and um, Venus in her first house, as well as her north node. And what I came to know about this was that um, with her North Node, she was definitely guided by showing compassion and showing lots of love and devotion in her life and also having that being surrounded by herself. 
Uranus obviously having her own opinions about matters in life, and then also Venus being very supportive. But being that night chart person, again, she was led by um, her moon in Cancer, which also denoted being caring, nurturing, compassionate, and really just being um, supportive of anyone who was in her family. Now, conversely, with Ralph Waldo Emerson, he actually, we mentioned the sun in the eighth house, but my biggest concern when I first saw the synastry chart between them was that um, Pluto is actually right outside. So what Ralph Waldo Emerson's Pluto position was really right outside Ellen Tucker Emerson's sun, Uranus, and Venus positions in Pisces. My biggest concern with that is that um, Pluto in relationships always indicate control, and a father figure having that would probably be very Iron Fist. Um, like his word goes, there is no question whatsoever. Um, there is no negotiation. There is no, no backtalk, no anything when it comes to that relationship. So I think in that regard, their relationship was a little bit strained in that regard um, with that, that um, particular aspect. However, um, with Wal Ralph Waldo Emerson, he did have Jupiter in the 12th house in Virgo, which is actually just the opposite, you know, opposition. Um, Ellen Tucker, Emerson's uh, son, Uranus and Venus, as well as North Node positions in Pisces. And really what I kind of see is with Emerson, um, you know, Jupiter indicates, it, so Jupiter was in his 12th house, so it indicated very, a lot of expansiveness from within. Again, very perfect for transcendentalism, very perfect for the mysticism and the romanticism of transcendentalism. But I think as a father as well, too, I would like to hope that that aspect did convey some sort of love and kind of supplemented and made up for the Pluto aspect right outside of Ellen Tucker's, you know, sun sign in Pisces. And even though it was an opposition, you know, where they're both the plants are very opposite each other in very opposite signs. I really think that the one unity that could really help them in that regard was obviously being of service to people. I think with Ellen Tucker Emerson, she really was of service to her family, really was of service to people outside of her. Knowing that she established a missionary, and I think she was actually uh, became a school teacher in that missionary parish, or actually, sorry, not a missionary, but it was considered to be a parish. She basically established a school and was a teacher within it. And I think with Ralph Waldo Emerson, he was able to respect that, knowing that um, you know it was of service. It might not have been expansive as he wanted it to, you know, his daughter to be. It probably wasn't philosophical as he wanted his daughter to be. But I, that's where I also see Ellen Tucker Emerson's. Uranus position coming out in her first house where it was, she had ideas. She did think outside the box. She had ideas, but those ideas were really geared more towards serving others, 
So definitely establishing a parish or establishing a school, becoming a school teacher within that, I think that can actually be very revolutionary, even though it seems very common. And it might, you know, like I said, again, it might not be poetic or philosophical and full of the the expansiveness that is of Jupiter, but um, it, it's it's really, it's something that's very big and very wonderful as well, too. With Ellen Tucker Emerson's also her, her North Node, I have to add this, her North Node being in Pisces, there's also her calling as well, too. Like she was actually fated to do that as well, too, to be of service. But also, I mean, I had to point out um, Saturn was in Sagittarius. I think uh, I looked at the benefics as well as the malefics, which are also harped upon with day chart and night chart settings. Um, I'm not going to get into that uh, in this episode, Stargazers, knowing that that gets that gets super technical. But it could be a an, a, a subject for another a future episode um, come in the future. But definitely Saturn in Sagittarius. I didn't see that affecting Ralph Waldo Emerson's chart in any way, shape, or form. But um, definitely having a sense of, again, um, along with obligation and duty and support to the family and support to other people. I think Saturn in Sagittarius is really kind of showing you know, having a little bit of a conflict when it comes to duty because it's in a very free spirited sign or Saturn's in a very free spirited sign. Um, really having some uh, kind of like some conflict when it con- when it came to duty. And I think that conflict may have been where her father could have helped Ellen Tucker Emerson. Um, in some ways, I think with Ralph Waldo Emerson, Ellen Tucker Emerson, at first, when I looked at their charts, I thought that they had a very cold relationship, and I had to look up the archives to see like how their relationship actually ran in the family. It turns out with uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, he actually um, did take Ellen Tucker Emerson around the world, um, kind of sh- had shown her Egypt at that time, had shown her different like different um, areas of the world to her. Um, to me, with that, despite the Pluto relationship, there was that. I feel like Fifth House deals with pleasures. Um, we do have a couple of aspects from him in the ninth house. I think Mercury actually is in his ninth house in Gemini. So we see that playing out. And I'm seeing how that would benefit um, Ellen Tucker Emerson um, and their relationship, you know, kind of helping her to show the world, helping her to show that there's, there's a lot more than what is in her hometown. There's a lot more than what is at home. But I think the biggest strain that I could see was that he was definitely very encouraging of everyone in his family to speak up and, um, to really have an opinion, knowing that he had not only, um, Mercury in Gemini and also Sun in Gemini, which is all about communication. But also, I think really with uh, the biggest concern was that he would critique Ellen Tucker Emerson into expressing herself more and being more extroverted. I think, I, I think the biggest concern that I would see with, with the fact that she was definitely a night chart person, uh, you can see in the old photos, she was a night, night chart person in the regard that um, when photos were taken of her, she would look down, she wouldn't look at the lens. 
If she looked at the lens, her eyes were elsewhere. Um, definitely not somebody who wanted to reveal her private life out into the world, which is also pretty big of night chart people. Unlike where Ralph Waldo Emerson invited the cameras in, you know, invited any sort of depictions, drawings, um, photography at that time, early photography, you know, he was, he was happy to have his picture taken. He was very happy to have notoriety. And I would say that the biggest tension in the relationship would be, you know, there's something wrong with you, daughter. You're not extroverted. There's something, there's something the matter. We have to get you extroverted or we have to make sure that you are, you are conversing with other people and that you're, we're getting you out of your shy little shell because this is not benefiting you in any way, shape or form. I could see where this would be a, a certain amount of tension because again, with Ellen Tucker Emerson, even though she was very dutiful, even though she was very supportive of her family, including her father, and she did everything that she could to be of service to people, um, even people outside of her family. You know, I could see where whenever someone would say, hey, you're too introverted, snap out of it, get out of your shell, which was actually very dominant, not only back then, but heck, I mean, it was dominant back in the 90s, too. If you're introverted, you, there was something wrong with you. You had Unabomber or terrorist tendencies. Um, you know, again, a lot of night chart people in this vein can feel very misunderstood. And I think with Ellen Tucker Emerson, she not only felt that, but disrespected. You know, it's like, hey, you know, every time that you you tell me that you're kind of invading me, you're kind of wounding me, you're telling me I need to change the very stuff as to who I am. So with this vein, Stargazers, um, and with these two examples, one of my aunt, one of uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, I just feel that, again, day chart, night chart people not good in relationship settings. I think the better relationship would be pair the exclusive day chart person or the exclusive night chart person with someone who has the elements of the in-between, you know, the, the majority of everyone where, you know, somebody might have their son in the night chart setting so they can understand somebody who's in a night chart, who's an exclusive night chart, but also have planets in the day chart setting or the day chart sect um, to where they can actually not only understand the night chart person, but also have lovely ways to challenge the night chart person to kind of socialize a little bit. Now, again, um, with relationships, there's equal amounts of being agreeable and being loving. Um, love to me is an equal balance between being loving and also providing a challenge for your partner. And having your partner do the same for you. So I think that would be a good, a better chart construct for an exclusive night chart. Conversely, with the day chart person, um, say that somebody does have their moon or their sun in the day chart setting. They can understand the day chart person and wanting to rub elbows and wanting to network and wanting to party and wanting to, you know, socialize all the time. But then if they have a couple of planets in the night sect, they can also challenge that partner to kind of rein it in, come at home every now and then, or ha spend a night at home every now and then and see how luxurious that could be. 
Maybe turn off the phone every now and then away from your friends and spend some time with family and see how luxurious and how nice that could be. You know, again, challenging that partner without having that partner feel. And I think this is true for both night and day charts. You know, I think the, the, the individual has a blend of both can really, um, you know, call, challenge the night or day chart person without fe- making them feel like they have to compromise a big part of themselves for the relationship. So I think that's like the biggest thing I feel is the, is big and key in synastry when it comes to night charts and day charts as well. And what would, what would really work out. So stargazers, this is the extent of my episode on day charts and night charts. Uh, I hope that you guys really enjoyed this. Uh, it was very interesting um, compiling the research and really kind of diving deep into what was what uh, for this episode. And um, definitely, I I would love to know which which are you? You know, when you look at your nail chart, are you a day chart person? Or are you a night chart person? And, you know, let me know. Definitely um, in the comment section of this podcast, of this episode, or at my Instagram page at, at Mysek, M-I-S-E-K dot Sandra at, um, or so it's actually at Mysek, M-I-S-E-K dot Sandra. Sorry, I'm a little tongue tied this evening, stargazers. But you can also um, leave me a comment at my, uh, in my email, and that's Mysek, M-I-S-E-K, dot Sandra at gmail.com. And just let me know. It's like, hey, I'm a day chart person. And I feel like all these descriptions fit me. Or you can even say, hey, I'm a day chart person, but I kind of disagreed with this. Or I kind of found, I'm kind of finding that this is more true as opposed that's more true. And either way, all your comments are welcome. And I would just be kind of interested, you know, which, you know, just to see what you guys have found. Um, in your charts. Also, when it comes to synastry, what have you guys found being either a day chart or a night chart person? Um, you know, if your partner, if they have, what do they have in their chart? What sort of chart did they have? And, you know, how that works out for you as well. But above all, stargazers, do not be afraid to look up at the stars. The moon is half full. I think the uh, full moon is actually on the 11th of this month. So she is actually half, actually a little more than half full. So she's getting there and definitely illuminating the night sky like no other. It's beautiful out there. But above all, again, as with the stars, it not only gives us the origins of astrology as we know it, um, but it just gives us a nice little pause, especially with Uranus retrograde right now, just gives us a nice little pause. I think I also want to warn you with uh, Mercury coming into retrograde as of the 9th this month, I it I think looking up at the stars would definitely give you a lot of pause, knowing that we're getting the preview of Mercury retrograde. But even with Uranus and Mercury retrograde, I do hope that you guys are being careful, that you guys are well and doing well in your life and just doing well in general. And stargazers, between next or this week and next week, be well, and I will see you then. Also, check out Sandra Mysick's Patreon page. 
where you can actually get a free synastry reading if you become a member for as little as $5 a month. To check that out, go on to patreon.com forward slash 7th House Astrology.